0: All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 2, if you will. Genesis chapter 2, today we continue our look at a series that we've entitled, In His Image. You know, a lot of people that I know are going through a lot of difficult things. And being the Christmas season seems to only complicate those difficulties rather than making them better in some way. There's a lot of fear in the world today. There's a lot of uh, anxiety in the world today. There's a lot of worry in the world today. People are concerned about the future. People don't know what's going to happen next. And Christians are not immune to those things. There's a lot of worry in the body of Christ. There's a lot of worry in the minds and the hearts of Christians Not only for themselves, but for their children and their grandchildren concerning those things that look to be coming in the future. That being said, let me direct your attention to today's message. The title of today's message is A Day of Rest. Today we come to the seventh day of creation together. It's a day that God looked at everything that he has just created and said, it is all good. And after doing so, the Bible tells us that he rested. He took a step back, summed it up, said, yeah, I like it. That's it. That's it right there. Not like me. You know, I would have gotten to that point in the creation, step back, say, it looks pretty good. It looks almost perfect, but I think I could get it just a little bit better and then ruin the whole thing. That's something I would do, but not God. He he stopped when he knew he should stop. It was perfect. It was all good. And it would be easy to read these three verses and just skim over them as then we moved into the creation of men and women, you and I, if it weren't for a passage found in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 where the writer of Hebrews says that this rest indicates a theological understanding that is so significant we just can't simply pass over it. It's a rest in knowing that the salvation which I enjoy in Jesus Christ is held firmly in His hands, and that nothing can snatch me out of His hands. But not only is it a rest knowing that Jesus Christ has paid a penalty that I could not satisfy myself, that he has kept a law perfect that I could never keep perfect, he did all of this in and and through himself for my sake, and now I can rest in the assuredness of my salvation in and through Jesus. But there's another rest that you and I can enjoy also, and that's a rest that we can enjoy day by day as we lean on the promises of God in times of difficulty, trials, troubles, and tribulations. To steady us when we feel unstable, to encourage us when we're discouraged. It is this rest that can hold us to allow us to truly reflect the God in whom we serve to the, to the world around us and truly regain that image that we were once created in. So let us pick it up this morning as we look at chapter 2 of the book of Genesis together. And today I'm going to show you how you can enter into his rest this morning. Notice with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and thus the heavens and the earth and all of the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Notice the words, if you will. The words such as finished, ended, done, rested. It's like coming home from a hard day at work, working 14, 15 hours a day. If you've ever done that, you know how exhausting it is. You come home, you just kick back, you sit on the couch, and you just have no idea how you got through it all. But that moment you can just come and sit and rest for a minute is so rewarding after everything you've gone through that day. But for God, of course, it wasn't exhaustion that ceased Him from the work in which He was doing. It was perfection. It was the perfection that He saw His creation in. Notice with me in verse 31 of chapter 1, then God saw that everything that He had made and indeed it was very good. And on the evening and in the morning were the sixth day. When it was all said and done, it was perfect. This is it. So he finished. He ended. It was done. And he rested on the seventh day and blessed it. Now, my doctoral dissertation, I wrote that on the seventh day during his rest, he created... Lou Melnati's pizza, Portillo's, NFL football, okay? He just, he just took a moment to step back. Now again, it would be interesting just to leave it there. But God had something more significant in mind. This was to indicate that he was going to bring all of his creation into a rest, And that rest would initially be televised, if you will. It would be shadowed by what he established in the book of Exodus when talking about this rest, which is the word Shabbat in Hebrew, which means Sabbath. This day that he wanted people to remember. And notice with me in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. When Moses wrote, he stated... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor sell your son, your daughter, nor your male servant, nor female servant, nor cattle, nor stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. One of my favorite pastors, Warren Worsby, said this. He says, The first rest of salvation, the second rest is a rest of submission. The first rest is of salvation, the second rest is of submission, meaning, I am now going to submit to the finished work that God has completed. You see, God simply wanted the people to put a day aside to worship Him, to spend time with Him, to be alleviated of their personal responsibilities just for a moment so they could once again just sit and worship and adore the God in whom created them who brought them out of Egypt to give them a land of their own, etc. That's what the Sabbath was meant. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that he sanctified the seventh day. It means that he set it apart. He set it apart for the purposes of taking a moment to worship and adore God. That's what the intention was. Well, if you fast forward, unfortunately, into the New Testament, that attention was lost. Through the traditions of the religious leaders there in Israel, they made the Sabbath day so convoluted with all of these incredibly tedious rules and regulations that people couldn't break. That people lost that idea of rest. They lost that idea of tranquility. They lost that idea of just taking a moment, stepping back from all of their responsibilities and just worshiping God. They lost all of that. And it seems as if they became so consumed by all of the little uh, rules and regulations that the religious leaders had put into place, crazy ones. I mean, crazy ones. That they could only go a certain distance without it being considered work. You could only work—I mean, walk so many steps, and then all of a sudden, you get to that last step, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's it. You've gone too far. You've worked on the Sabbath. They actually took a stake, put it in their property, attached to a rope, that rope attached to their ankle, and that rope was measured to make sure that they didn't go too far. You know, can you imagine somebody walking out to the edge of their, of their property line and then all of a sudden just stopping? It's like those people who have those electric fences for the dogs. You know, when it, <laughs> I remember when those came out. I, I, I remember when those came out, and at my parents' house, our neighbor across the street had one for their dog. Okay, I personally think uh, that their dog was uh, a couple bricks short of a load. Okay, that the porch light was on, but uh, the porch light was on, but there was no light bulb. Uh, something was really wrong, and I used to sit there. I have to confess before God, the dog would beeline out the door and just, oh my gosh, he would hit that boundary and just do cartwheels, you know, because he would get zapped and he wouldn't learn. He wouldn't learn. And I feel that, I remember that each and every time I think about these restrictive rules that they put on the Sabbath. And when Jesus came and he saw all of this, and that the true intention, the rest that was meant to be enjoyed on the Sabbath was lost, he said this to the religious leaders. In Mark two twenty seven. he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. It was made for man to take a moment to pause, to rest, and to worship God. And you've made it so complicated and convoluted. All of that has been lost. And the rest has escaped them. Because they're so consumed with thinking and considering all of the things that they have to observe just so they don't defile themselves, not according to God's word, but according to the traditions of men there in Israel. You know, so often I think we continue to bring our relationship with God into a state of works. If I do good things, then God will bless me. If I do bad things, God will punish me. We create things that we should observe. Even reading and praying each and every day can become a ritual if we don't see the real heart intent behind it. If we simply see that reading and praying and spending time with God is just simply a box that I check on my chore chart each and every day, I lose the intent of it. That moment each and every day that I take to pray and to read God's Word, it's not to simply check a box so I can say, done, move on to the next thing. No, it's to get to know God and His heart. To understand His love. To get to know Him more personally, deeply, and intimately. And if we're simply checking a chart, if we've made it just a ritual that we go through, Now, I have to say this because often when I say something like that, then people will say, well, you know, then I can skip for a month or two, you know. Because it's not, uh, I don't want to become legalistic. No, I'm not saying that either. Don't let the pendulum swing that far the other way. I'm just saying, realize that the original intent of any action can be lost if we make it a ritual. That's what I'm saying. Because I believe that if we are going to enter into the rest that God has for us, we need to take those times each and every day for Bible reading, for personal prayer, to get to know the heart of God. And I'll explain why as we go. Now some Christians feel that the Christian is still today under the obligation to observe the Sabbath. But Paul made that abundantly clear that we are not. In Colossians two sixteen and 17... He says clearly to the Gentile Christians, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Meaning that these things were satisfied in and through the new covenant that Jesus Christ established for us. There are some Christians who believe that these things should be observed for a greater, I think, um, a greater, uh, uh, I don't know, display of righteousness. Maybe put it that way. That I'm more holy because I do these things. I think one of the holiest things we can do is enjoy the freedom that Jesus Christ provides us to worship and to love Him. But once that intent was lost, it was very hard for the Jewish people to regain. Once we lose the initial intent an intention of any ritual that we occupy ourselves with then we lose the original then we lose the purpose and why God initially intended it for us now I'll be honest with you there are some times that I just don't want to read again but often it's in those times that if I push myself and sit and pray and read it's those times that God speaks to me the loudest through his word But now we come to Hebrews chapter 4. What is this day of rest? Why is it so significant? What was it shadowing, as Paul said, to his recipients? How was it fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, if you will, in your Bible. If you hit Revelation, back up. You've gone too far. The book of Hebrews is one of the most fascinating New Testament books that is spent the least amount of time in. The book of Hebrews is written by an unknown author. The general understanding is that it's Paul himself who wrote this. Though over the years there have been very interesting uh, uh, scholarly arguments to state that it could have been Luke who wrote this. But I believe that Paul's intention was to draw them to Christ. Now who was he speaking to and who was he writing to? There were Jewish people who became Christians and after doing so, they began to experience great trials, troubles, and tribulations, persecutions, to the point that they were losing their material wealth, they were being in prison, they were losing their freedoms, and many of them felt that this isn't worth it anymore. Christianity was not accepted in the known world as Judaism was. Judaism was known and recognized by Rome, etc., as one of the religions that they allowed to operate. But when Christianity started, Rome was opposed to it. And a lot of that uh, opposition that Christianity initially warranted was due to the fact that they would not acknowledge um the emperor as a deity they wouldn't worship him and neither would the Jewish people but for some reason they looked at the Jewish people differently and so many Christians were heavily persecuted and Jews who had become Christians were heavily persecuted and they were basically willing now to say you know what we've tried this this is too difficult it's too hard let's go back to Judaism the whole book of Hebrews is written to them saying don't do it you can't go backwards. The new covenant has uh, superseded the old covenant, and now it is in and through Christ that one is saved. Now, here is where our whole tie-in with the Old Testament comes to bear when we look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let's take a look at it with together. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us Uh, Let us, I'm sorry, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. There was a promise of rest given to the Jewish people as they came out of Egypt being led out by Moses. When they came to the border of the land in which, of course, God had promised them, the land of Canaan, instead of going in as God directed them to do, they sent in 12 spies, Those spies came back. Ten of them said, no way, we can't do it. There's giants in the land. It's scary. Uh Uh-uh, we shouldn't go any farther. But two came back and said, not a problem. Let's see what God is going to do. And in the Hebrew, they said, yes, there's giants, but it's cake. We can take them. And that was Joshua and Caleb. This rest indicates that God was not only providing a place for them, but an inheritance for them. And what kept them out of that land is the same thing that keeps you and I out of the rest that God has for us, not only eternally in Jesus Christ in heaven, but also each day by day that we walk with the Lord here on this earth. And the doorway to this rest is this. Here we go. It is faith. It is faith. Earlier on, the book of Hebrews has stated that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is faith that allows us to enter into God's rest. But faith in what? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that's what we're going to explore together this morning. Notice with me that even after Joshua had brought them into the promised land, there was still a promise of rest that could be had by God's people. And this rest was found and is found in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. That is, good news was preached. The good news of their inheritance that God had a land for them. That God was going to lead them and He was going to give it to them. But they did not trust Him for it. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Notice this. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What kept them out of the promised land is what keeps us out of the rest that God has for us, and that is faith or lack thereof. Unbelief kept them out of the promised land. Unbelief will keep you out of the rest that God has for you. It is clearly that is what God is specifying is the doorway to the rest in which he wants to give you that you can have today. But notice what he says. Those who heard what God had told them did not mix it or apply faith to those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Notice that. That when we believe, we enter that rest. And he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Because they did not believe, they did not enter into the land in which God gave them or was providing for them. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. Okay? Although the works were finished, From the foundations of the world, meaning that God had set it forward, it was theirs to take, and yet they chose not to. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest." Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and to those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, it has been said, today, I, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And what he is saying here, the writer of Hebrews is saying just as God ceased his work in the act of creation due to its perfection, so did God cease his work in and through the new covenant because the new covenant was also perfect. Perfect. Jesus Christ was perfectly capable of satisfying all of the righteous requirements of God and is capable of saving you and I. It is interesting to me that so often we forget that. In fact, they forgot it in the Bible when they tried to perfect their faith in the flesh rather than relying on the Spirit that was already doing the work for them we have a propensity to always return to a works mentality but the one who works is god himself in and through us that work starts on the inside and then manifests itself on the outside as he works in and through them as john said in john 5:17 but jesus answered them my father has been working until now and I have been working up until the point of the crucifixion God's plan was being set forward it was being executed it was being fulfilled but notice that in John 19:30 so when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowing his head he gave his up his spirit Earlier on in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 11, you might want to write this down, verse 28. Jesus makes an appeal to the people. The Jewish people were accustomed to each and every feast and every requirement that the law required of them, making sacrifices on their behalf to cover kofar, their sins. Not wash away and atone for permanently, but to cover, simply to cover. And if they sinned again, they would have to cover again the sin in which was committed. But Jesus came to a place and he asked and invited each and every person who could hear him. He said, Come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will cease the the requirements of the Mosaic covenant. I will cease your need to observe each and every law that has been prescribed to you by God. In and through me, all of these things will be satisfied. But the only way to receive these things is by believing in faith and trusting what God has done for you. Now you and I today know I believe and are, are aware of the fact that God has finished the work. The covenant is perfect. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect for saving us. But that rest can be experienced each and every day in a very practical way. I'm talking about a rest that will govern your heart and mind as you go through this world and are faced with all different kinds of scenarios that would lead to anxiety and worry and fear, etc. I believe just as we appropriate the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith and that it's unbelief that keeps us from inheriting the the internal life that is provided through the new covenant. I believe that each and every day, one of the reasons that we don't enjoy the rest that God has provided for us is because we choose not to believe the promises of God that were given to us. That we choose not to believe the promises of God that were given to us. Now let me explain. There are many Christians who simply say that what we must have is faith. But faith in it of itself, when we talk about it that generically, really isn't the proper understanding of what God is saying. Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could remove mountains. It is not the size of my faith that matters to God. It's not like the force, you know, the force is with you. (laughs) It's not like the force, and the more of the force that we have, the more that we can do. You didn't think you were going to get that, did you? <laughs> okay, I, I, this is what I happen to when I have three cups of coffee, one in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit before service each uh, Sunday. Faith is not like the force. It's not the size of my faith that matters to God. When we talk about faith as Christians, we must talk about what that faith is attached to. Who do I have? What do I have faith in? Or more specifically, who do I have faith in? Oh, I have faith in God for my salvation, that He's taken me from death to life, from darkness to light. But do I have enough faith to believe His promises, to guard my heart and mind during my walk here with Him each and every day, to allow me not to go into the the mire of worry, the pitfall of anxiety. The hole of depression. Do I, can I allow that same faith to govern my heart and my mind during trying times that would try to draw me into those things? Pull me into the mire. Throw me into the pit. But what should I have faith in? Well, in God. The same God that has saved you is the same God that has given you promises to guard your heart and mind as you walk through this world. If we are going to experience the rest of God, meaning the rest that He has for us as we walk through this earth, we need to trust Him. We need to trust Him. Of course, all of this begins in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Notice what Paul writes. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, trust me, every Christian at some time in their Christian life will experience fear worry, anxiety, depression. None of us are immune to these things. But I don't have to remain there. I don't have to stay there. Notice with me. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34, notice what Jesus himself said to his followers. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of all of these things. In verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's how it all begins. When I take time for my devotions each and every day, My sole purpose is to get to know the God in whom I am serving, following, and uh, living for. Why? Because unless I know Him, I can't truly trust Him. We have a lot of problems with trust today, don't we, in our society? We don't know who to trust anymore. We have been lied to, we have been uh, betrayed, promises made and then not fulfilled. Trust is a big word today. The only way I'm going to trust God in the manner in which he is asking me to is if I know him thoroughly and deeply and intimately. And the only way that I can know that is one of two ways. Number one, to read his word, Genesis to Revelation. And number two, look upon Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And in so doing, this is my pursuit of seeking not only the kingdom of God, but also righteousness. What does it mean? That once I learn of what God desires of me, that I, by faith, trust him to give me the grace, the will, and the ability to do what he is asking me to do. To be obedient, right? Instead of getting to that promised land, that border, and summing things up in my own personal limited perspective, they are giants, they're big, they're bigger than us, we're gonna get killed, let's go back. Right? But why did Joshua and Caleb have such a different perspective? Because they put everything in the equation of God. If God says that he's giving it to us, if God is telling us to go forward, then he's going to provide a manner in which to conquer the enemies that we will face there. So it's not only knowing the God in whom we serve and love, but it's also being obedient to what he has asked us to do even when it seems impossible or beyond our capabilities. Taking that step out in faith, getting outside of our comfort zone, doing something more. And notice what Jesus said to them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. I can't tell you how helpful that is to me. Instead of worrying about everything that's going to happen in the next two weeks, God has helped me to laser in on what I'm focusing on today and seeing what God will do in the moment to allow me to overcome. In Philippians 1.6, we have the promise that God that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That God is faithful, that what he starts, he will complete. He started creation, he completed creation. He started the work in you, he will complete the work in you. That's a promise that can govern your heart to give you peace in your time of, uh, you know, in your time of need. So often if we can't be assured of God's work in our life, we can't be assured of God's work in our circumstances. But God promises that the work that he has started in you, he will finish in you. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Do you notice the correlation? If I want to overcome anxiety, if I don't even want to begin going down that road, it starts with prayer. Prayer in the Word of God. And in that, making my requests known to God, praising Him, my supplications, those things that I am in need of, knowing that He is is in knowledge of what I need even before I ask. But all these things, God says, in it all, I will give you a peace which surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Philippians 4:19 and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all of my needs. Not wants, needs. So I'm going to trust him. And by trusting him and that promise I can find rest. In Hebrews 13:5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the rest isn't simply contained to eternity. The rest is meant to be enjoyed each and every day of our Christian life. How is it enjoyed? It's enjoyed when we rest in the promises of God and by faith trust Him to do what He has said He would do. Simple as that. Jesus said that the most precious ones that came to Him were children who had childlike faith in what He said. If God says He's going to provide my needs, why should I doubt that? Well, we doubt or we get anxious because our needs uh, maybe different than what he thinks our needs are. And maybe they are more wants. I, I don't know. But God says he promised that. He says if I seek him first and his, his righteousness, he'll provide everything else that I need. Why can't I trust that? And he then goes on to say, why worry like the Gentiles do? The Gentiles worry because they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know of my faithfulness towards you. Is there anyone here today who can say that God has not been faithful towards you in the past? That God has ne- hasn't met the promises in which He has made to you in the past? If He's done those things in the past, don't you think He's going to do them today? Don't you think He's going to do them tomorrow? If He's faithful then, He's faithful now. But why is it that we doubt and we worry and we fear and we have so much anxiety that tears us up inside. That's what the word means in the Greek. It's an anxiety that keeps you up at night. It's an anxiety that rips you up from the inside out. Why is it? I don't know about you, but now at 55, I'm ready to rest in God. I've done my worrying. God, I don't know how you're going to do that. He goes, does it matter how I'm going to do it? Just know I'm going to do it. No, but I need to know how. Lord, I've got some ideas. You can do it this way, Lord. Here's A, B, and C. And every time I've done that, God says, but you know with me, there's always D. There's always another way of doing it. See, I don't always know how God's going to do it. I just know that He's going to do it because He said He would. If we have a need, God's going to provide that need. If I seek first the kingdom of God and, its right, and, his, righteousness, and his righteousness, then I know God is going to supply those things that I need. I know it. Now, what that means and what that looks like may be different than what you expect. But God has always, always, always been faithful to His promises. This Christmas, let's not get caught up in all of the commercial hype. Let's not get caught up in all of the seasonal uh, silliness, if I may. Let's remember the fact that this time of year, we remember, as we do each and every day of the year, that God came to save us. The rest that we have in Jesus Christ is not simply meant to be contained in all of eternity, but to guard our hearts and mind each and every day, each and every day that we walk with Him on this earth. One of my mentors... uh, Early on in my Christian life, a dear Christian woman at the church, she would always ask how I was doing when I came in every Sunday. Grab my arm, ask me to sit down next to her to tell her about my week. And often I would be anxious and I would be worried and I would be fearful. And I would tell her my story. I would tell her about the things that I was concerned about. I I would tell her why I am justified in freaking out the way I am at that moment. And one time, I looked at her and I said, I'm a little concerned that you're not listening to me. And she said, oh, why do you think that? I said, because you're not freaking out the way I'm freaking out. Because if you understood where I was, you'd be freaking out too. But you're not freaking out, so I don't think you care. No, she said, No, I, I've heard everything that you said. And I said, well, why? what's the difference? Why am I freaking out and you're not? And she says, because the God I believe in is, the, is bigger than the God you believe in right now. And I never forgot that. I wish I could say that that was sufficient to help me not freak out the next week. But we are all works in progress. But she was so right. She was so right. What is it today that you're worried about? What's on your mind? What's on your heart? May I ask you today to seek out the promises that God has made to you in His Word and find out which of those promises can be applied to what you are facing. And then may I ask you to simply, as, like a, as a child, trust in what dad says. Trust what dad says. And see if a peace and a rest doesn't come upon your heart and mind. I love what A.W. Tozer said, and I'll say this in closing. He says, faith rests upon the character, on character. Faith must rest in a confidence upon the one who made the promise. Faith must rest upon the one who has made the promise. What has God promised that he isn't capable to perform? I leave you with that. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come now and close our service together, You know the hearts of everyone here, those listening online, etc., of what we are dealing with and going through. I pray, Lord, that we can enter into your rest. Father, you know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling with. You know what we're freaking out about. I pray that you impress upon our hearts through your word who you are and that you've made abundance of promises to us that you are able to perform. So we don't have to freak out. We don't have to uh, just be torn up by anxiety or kept up by fear and worry. But we can simply rest and trust in you. This isn't complacency. This isn't apathy. It's simply trusting in you as we are content in those things that we currently have. Because you know our needs before we ask. And you are amply able to provide our needs according to the riches of your grace. So Father, I just pray that this Christmas season that we would enter into your rest, ultimately in Jesus for our salvation, but each and every day as we rest in the promises that he has made, you have made to us. And we ask this now in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song. Thank you.